Welcome back to the Dog Days podcast, where in this episode we speak to one of our own, uh, Junior Eldstahl, about his career in Malaysia, where it began, and the struggles and successes. This is the Dog Days with Ollie Scott, Junior Eldstahl, and Ian McKenzie. Hello and welcome back to the Dog Days, uh, where this episode we are interviewing one of our own. He's one of our own. It's Junior Elstow. It's one of our own. <laughs> Malaysian Bex. Malaysian Bex, how are you doing today? You can't say that, man. Oh, <laughs> oh, come you on. You can't say that. <laughs> it was one article. You <laughs> you're, no, now he's... Oh, now you're pulling away now from you're being identified away. as Malaysian Bex. I like right. you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are, we, are we having to cut all this? No, of course uh, not. Uh, okay, <laughs> fine, brilliant. Welcome, um, Junior Elstyle. By the way, for the purpose of the podcast, I don't refer to Junior as Junior. I'll refer to him as Pooch. Yeah. Um, for anyone that doesn't Pooch. know why, it's because when we were younger, we called Pooch Pooch. Um, you can tell us why in a second. But um, today, the reason why we want to go through your story in particular is because we feel that out of all of us, you have gone through quite a volatile ride in your life from being a semi-professional football player to being a very professional football player in Malaysia, and then back now to the UK where you're about to found your own business. So some may say zero, zero to hero to zero. Um, no wow. offense, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's what we're here for, and we're here to document um, the real life stories rather than just the Hollywood glamorous stories. So yeah. um, welcome to, to the show, you, Ian, man. as Happy well. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, everyone, yeah. Did you have a good break, by the way, quickly? Very yeah, good, yeah, we set our um, set our goals, ready to go. I um, sound like Janice from Friends, mate. Oh <laughs> my god! Why? What's my, my sinus is horrendous. Oh, because I sound like Phil Mitchell on Monday. Too many Guinnesses. Too many Guinnesses. <laughs> 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 Literally zero to hero to zero again. How you doing? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, dot com. Sorry, Pooch. Um, we want to go through your story, so I'd like to go through, I guess. A, where it all began for you in the semi-professional career. We'll not get back to your boring life because really nothing happens between the ages of zero to 16. <laughs> um, and then from, from 16 onwards, I want to hear, uh, I guess, the highs and lows. So From Aldershot Town yeah, to so playing in Malaysia, where do we start? Yeah, so um, thanks for having me on. No worries at all, mate. This is your podcast. You're more than welcome to be on. You've been on asking for weeks to get us on. <laughs> come on, lad. Come on, get this over and done with. Um, no, my career started um, at Aldershot. We started from Aldershot. So I was at Aldershot when I was um, 15, 16. Um, you know, I played there for two seasons before college. So I was in school, I think it was year 10, year 11. I was at Aldershot Town. Um, and the year I was there, we actually had a lot of um, players from Reading who got released that year. So we had about eight or nine players that got released from Reading. And they all joined Aldershot. So that year that we had going into sort of uh, men's football, which is like obviously um, when you hit that over 18 stage, you go into men's football, we had a really strong team. And they kicked you out and put you on the bench. And they kicked me out and put me on the bench, basically. No, wow. I was actually playing left back at the time for Aldershot. So I started Aldershot and then after Aldershot, um, went into, on to Woking and played for Woking and my college days. That's how, you know, Pazzi, obviously mm -hmm. played with Pazzi and, and Ali Turpey. Ali used to play goalkeeper, believe it or not, back in the day. He's wow. got quite a goalkeeper frame, hasn't he? Yeah, he's he, got even more of a goalkeeper. I'd say Safe he's more hands. the frame of the way the goalkeeper goes now. Um, <laughs> Safe hands. Safe yeah, hands. so onto there, I went to uh, college at Woking, which um, they've got quite a good system there where you play for the team. They're in the conference at the time, but then you do sort of, you go through college at the same time. So you, you, you're getting your qualifications that you need to go on to, you know, on to life and on to university. So I was there for a year and a half mm -hmm. and I wasn't getting that much game time at Woking um, compared to my one of my obviously my best friend Ollie and stuff who's you know getting first team football and things so I decided to move to Farnborough how um, far away is that from Woking 
It's only about a 20 minute drive. Okay. So, so you're still within so your. Still within the area. I was yeah. still going to Woking College, but playing for Farnborough. So that was a decision I made because I wanted game time. Like any, obviously, person that, a footballer, you know, the more game time you have, the sort mm. of the better you, you become. Just um, at this point, how alive is the dream right now? Do you think I'm going to be a professional football player or is it like oh, I'm sort of on the way out here? It was, when, when you're growing up in England, it's, it's, it's quite hard to. There's so many distractions when you're growing up, and especially at that yeah. age, we all know there's so many distractions of like, yeah. you just turned 18, you know, you can start going clubbing now, and all this, all your boys are going clubbing, like, especially at college. MNG, man. MNG, Monday Night Guildford. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Dusk. Down Shout out to Dusk. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot of distractions. So to be fair, I think when I was at Aldershot at a younger, at a younger age, the dream was still very much there. I wanted to be a pro. As I got a bit older, I started to realise there's a lot more competition mm-hmm. and I wasn't in that pecking order of of making it. So, you know, I went to Farnborough in to get more game time. It, it didn't really make sense to me to to, to put to play full time football at the time. Well, I, c- I couldn't, I didn't have the offers to be fair. Um and in England a lot of people sort of turn you down, sort of thing. You know, mm-hmm. you're told quite a lot you're not good enough, you're told, you know, you're too slow, you're this, you're that. When you're younger, you know, you you're you have all that confidence in the world because mm. you're playing Saturdays, you're playing Sunday mornings, yeah, you, sure. you know, you're like, you're down the park every day and all you're thinking is football, football, football. As you get older, things, reality sort of hits, you need, you need to start making money, you need to, you know, whether it's, I started labouring, I was working at Dormatics, um, wow. fitting garage doors mm-hmm. during my college days. I did used to fit garage doors. What was your um, name with this? Do you go a junior or, or Pooch? No, that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't I think it's really important because I, I imagine there's <laughs> like a, a, a comedic name where you're fitting doors. Everyone knew me Pooch the garage door. No, but I started, so I was coaching, I was working with Planet Soccer, just very quickly, Joe Seep, and he got me a job for his brother um, doing dormatics because <laughs> I had a massive injury. So I sort of tore three ligaments on my left ankle and that was another sort of kickback for me in my career. I thought, okay, I'm definitely not going to make it now. I'm not going to play football for a year. Mm. So that was from after working in Farnborough. I've got this massive injury. I was out for like f- six months and my mum decided to enrol me for uni. So um, there's a uni university uh, in the Midlands near Bristol um, in Gloucester um, called Hartbury and they're affiliated with Bristol UE. Um, I didn't know this at the time. So when mum said you're going to Bristol UE, I thought I was going to be in Bristol, right? So mm-hmm. I thought I was going to be in Bristol, University in Bristol. So I'm going to be a uni lad, whatever, all this stuff. Frat party. Frat parties, oh my God. Um, <laughs> so were you going there to go to uni or were you going there I was to going there football? to go to uni. I didn't realise what she'd done. For, so that, like, I have such gratitude to my mother for this because she knows I'm quite stubborn in decisions. So if she said like, oh, you're going to uni. I didn't know it was for football. So okay. I turned up to Hartbury. This is in, it's in Gloucester. Um, and Hartbury's a... Like, like a bit like Woking do, you go there, um, you train like a pro. They have, the facilities are amazing. They have three teams, so they've got Hartbury first, second, thirds. Um, and a lot of ex-pros that get released from clubs at mm-hmm. sort of 18 and stuff, they have a chance to still make it in the game, but do a degree at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's why Hartbury sort of helped me in that sense, is you're taking your degree, but you're training, I think we trained Monday, Tuesdays, played Wednesdays, Thursdays was off back training Friday. So you're training full time wow. and then you play your clubs on Saturdays. So I was playing um, in a Hellenic Prem for a team on Saturdays as well. Um, so I was pretty much living like a pro mm-hmm. whilst I was at Hartbury. Um, and this is after my injury. So then I was sort of get, getting back into the swing of things and I was feeling like I was a pro and I was sort of training like a pro. We had we had an SEC coach, for, like, you know, we had a full-time SNC coach. We What's had a nutritionist, that? strength and conditioning coach. Oh, okay. And this is at a university and like, you know, teams in League 2, League 1 don't even have that. Um, Were they not the temptation? Sorry, because I thought this was a university one. I'm 
my experience of university yeah. is going and doing 100 Jager bombs and dancing around and potentially kissing a girl. Strange, Ollie, I never thought you went to university. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, well, I, when I visited my intelligent friends, yeah. they, they would be kissing girls on the lips, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Were there, were there temptations at university or were you just kind of head down? Well, there was obviously a Wednesday after, so at Hartbury you have football, rugby and equine. And they're the, the Egg academies. Egg what? Egg That's the, the, the Japanese uh, paper folding <laughs> sport. Mate, you don't, I've never heard of equine. No. no. Horse riding, like show jumping. Uh, equestrian. Equestrian, equestrian, equestrian yeah, yeah, but you call it equine. Yours mm. sounds like an American rapper. I don't know. <laughs> equine, <laughs> dog. Equine. Yeah, yeah. Equine. Yeah, so, so, equine that, so, so the beat. So the rugby team are actually below uh, National... No, they play in National League One. So they, they're the league below the, the Prem. Like Premiership Rugby. I'm not very in terms of rugby. You, mm-hmm. might, you might know better. No idea. So... <laughs> The players there are actually really good. So the whole setup at Hartbury, everyone's very um, sporty. So it's not that sort of, you know, everyone goes out. There's Wednesday night was the night where everyone did go out and we had the, you know, uni freshers and but stuff. Everyone's committed. And everyone's serious. very committed. Wow. Because you, you, you feel like, like I said, you feel like a pro. Sounds a bit like Loughborough. It is. Yeah, it right. is a bit like Loughborough. Quite so a similar Loughborough, location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Middle, well, sort of ish. Yeah. yeah, a bit further apart. Midlands. So that's what, so from, so from um, get, getting injured, obviously, at farm, but I went to Hartbury and I was there for, a year, year and a half, training like a pro every day. Um, and after the first year, um, we had to go do a work experience. Mm. So um, my mum's obviously Malaysian, so um, we've got a lot of family friends in Malaysia and stuff. Um, this is how the career all started, right? that's how it started. So we had a lot of uh, friends in Malaysia, and she said, why don't you go do your work experience in Malaysia? I said, okay, that sounds really amazing. I'll go there for two or three weeks. I brought my friend Max Blackmore at the time, who was at Heartbeat with me. Um, so we went to... Uh, Malaysia to work with Scott Laurentiu, who turned out to be my agent in Malaysia. Um, and he owns a company called Borneo Tourist, like it's tourists in Borneo. I can't remember, sorry mate, I can't remember the <laughs> name of it. Borneo, Right, so um, we ended up going there for the summer, doing work experience, and we were actually doing work experience on a bowls tournament, you know bowls, like lawn bowls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he hosts a tournament there for the, Auss- for the Aussies, <laughs> and in Borneo, mate. Um, <laughs> every year and it's quite a big thing so all these teams for bowls teams go there and we were doing that helping them out with that at the time so but i was there no nothing in my head was thinking i might play how is this suitable work experience coming from heartbreak a college that takes football seriously to doing a we just, to hosting the pitch you know hosting bulls bowls we, just had to get, drunk we, just had, we just had to get hours in yeah, yeah and yeah. scotty obviously yeah, gave yeah. us the hours, yeah. um, and it was fun. It was like a holiday. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. Like, it was like a lot of other people. Were you going? Went to were work. You, you were pretty much a groundskeeper in Malaysia. Yeah, that was a work experience. Were you going out on the piss though, or were you just wait in Malaysia? No, yeah. I treated, I treated it like a holiday. It was a holiday. Okay. It was pretty, okay. pretty much holiday. We were yeah. going to the islands. We were, you know, then How long was it scheduled time. to be? It were two weeks. Okay. We stayed for three. We stayed for three. Um, so we were doing that, and Scotty turns around to me and Max said, "Oh, we, I'm playing futsal tonight." So you know, futsal is like a bit. Yeah. What do they call it in England? Well, foot, we have futsal. Yeah, it's so like it's indoor football, but we have futsal as well in England. Yeah. So yeah. he said, "Do you want to come play futsal tonight?" It's a lot you know? more technical, isn't it? Yeah, a lot more technical. So my son's playing. Blah blah. blah come, we need the numbers. I said, "Yeah, if I'm actually fancy it, yeah, we'll go. We'll go down." So we went there, played. We ended up playing actually every Monday and Thursdays in the in the weeks we were there. So Monday, Thursdays, we were playing futsal. And Scotty turns around and goes, oh, "This is my best Australian accent. Crikey, mate, you can play, can't you?" <laughs> <laughs> toad from Neighbours. Toad. <laughs> <laughs> he looks um, like Toad as well. Yeah. I said, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I've I'm got a right. bit in I've on. got a bit in on. Yeah, I've got a bit in on, mate. And he said, you, have you ever thought about playing in Malaysia? Because he obviously he knows my mum's Malaysian. Yeah. Um, 
at the time she didn't she held her Malaysian passport still. Um, and he said, you know, have you ever thought about playing in Malaysia? And my first thought was, fuck no, like, no, I haven't. Like, why, why on earth would I come to Malaysia, you know? Um, at this point, I'm obviously in my head, I've got another two years at Hartbury. Um, and Hartbury was the best opportunity for me to still make it into English football. But did you think you had a chance with English football? I did. At that point? I did at that point because I felt I was, I was playing well. Um, what was the natural goals. step being after Hartbury in English football? A lot of players from Hartbury... Um, go on to professional football. So Waris Walid went on to Hartbury, uh, off from Hartbury to, to making it a pro. Uh, David Ackham's now playing in the MLS. He was at Hartbury. So a lot of players have done that. Um, also, a lot of players go into league football, like, you know, conference stuff. So do they have good connections with clubs massive, good, Massively good connections, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of good connections. So in my head, I was, you know, going to complete my, my degree, two years, go back and, you know, keep playing for Hartbury cool. and get a chance. Um, but you say, look, come watch one of the games. Um, it's a local team called Saba. They were playing in the Super League at the time, which is the prim- like the EPL um, compar- comparison. Um, and I said, okay, we'll go down. We'll have, we'll have a look. Went there. And that time, Saba were um, not as big as they used to be, but they still had you know that that history behind them um, from when my agent Scott used to play for them. So oh, Scotty okay. used to play for them. So that's he's very he like affiliated. a legend there. Massive legend. You go around, everyone knows Scott Lawrence. Yeah. Sure, yeah. A little ginger striker. Paul's goals. Paul's goals, but fun. <laughs> yeah. Dave Kitson. Yeah, Dave Kitson, yeah. Um, so he said, come down, see what the feel is, and you know, then you can sort of talk to me again, come back to me. So I went to the stadium, um, and I think they had, uh, that, that night, they lost 1-0, but there was 22,000 fans there. Wow. So around that, 22,000 fans, and mm-hmm. I thought, what on earth? like, And, you know, that sounded too massive time, standard of football that I was watching, didn't look that great. So I it's similar to the standard of heartbreak, so would you say? No, it's like, no, no. Like, it's like league football. I'll compare it to like mm-hmm. league two conference sort of football. So it wasn't like, it wasn't, I wasn't watching Chelsea United and mm-hmm. being like, God, this is too good for me. I, could, I thought I could, I could actually play it, to be fair, if I put my mind to it. Um, I get that every week when I watch Tottenham. Fucking hell, son, I'm better than that. So yeah, so, after that experience of seeing the fans and seeing how passionate things were in Malaysian football, I never, I never realised how big it was. Like, yeah, you know, sure. I've been, I've been out of Malaysia for you know so long. Like, grew up in England and stuff. Um, so it was nice to see. And I said to Scott, well, yeah, if it, obviously the opportunity presents itself, I've got another two years at university. Um, I'd happily, I'd happily come out. Um, and he said, great. So go back, um, finish your first year, and then obviously start your second year. And if anything pops up, I'll come back to you. So I go home, finish my first year. Start my second year. We move into this amazing house. Um, it's not even you know university. You get like how like university houses. It wasn't like that. It was like we had an amazing house. It's an amazing time in my life. To be fair, the second year, um, and subconsciously I sort of knew that I had an opportunity without telling anyone. No one knew I had this opportunity, but I knew if I worked hard or double hard, I'd have an opportunity to maybe make it as a pro, full time footballer in Malaysia, right? Playing in front of twenty thousand fans. In my head, I'm thinking this, right? So the whole of my second year. I was doing doubles. So we would train in the mornings at eight. I would keep my friend Jack Longford, who I lived with, um, to do shooting practice with me, to do passing drills with me. We'd whack Joe Halliday in goal. Thank you, Joe Halliday. This little goalkeeper played for the freeze. He's like, mate, he's like three foot, right? But he could actually <laughs> stop balls. It was quite funny. <laughs> he was like, meow, meow, little cat. cat. Joe Halliday, the cat. Um, so we'd whack him in goal and we just used to ping balls at him. But I'll do extra. So I had a gym membership at DW and because we lived with rugby boys. Rugby boys, as you quite know, they love the gym. Like, they absolutely love the gym, right? So I was in the gym with them. I was doing extra. I was doing running. 
and I was living like a pro, like I said, we were training every day. But in my head, subconsciously, I was, I was sort of going through that phase again of when I was younger, of working. I was, I was skipping lectures and I was skipping um, university. You know, like, it, like I wasn't taking university seriously anymore. Like my exams, my my dis- like dissertations, my um, assignments and stuff, because I wanted to make it as a pro. So this whole thing again was, I was this whole cycle was going through my mind again, like, okay, we need to work now, we need to fucking work, because you've got an opportunity. No one knew, mm-hmm. it was only towards the end of the second year when I said, oh, I might go to Malaysia for my third year, like, you know, it might happen, and everyone was like, oh, bollocks. Like, yeah, yeah. right, mate, like, how you, like, what, what's in Malaysia kind of thing. And we'll go into that later when we talk about mm-hmm. the struggles and stuff. But, um, so from that, I get a random call from Scott, said, right, it's, it was a mid-season, because the season in Malaysia works, um, season starts January and it ends in November, mm-hmm. and then you have like a Christmas break. And then it starts again. So it's quite it's the other way around to English football. Um, so he gives me a call midway through the season. So I'm midway through my second year. Um, and it was around Jan, around Jan time. He gives me a call. He said, look, I've got an opportunity for you to come to play for Sarawak, um, which is a club in Borneo, near Sabah. Um, would you want to come? Like, I know you've got to still for your university, but would you want to come for like a two-week trial and stuff? And it was a massive like, decision for me to be like, Okay, so trial, um, I'm going to do it. I, in my head, I wanted to do it because I've been preparing for this. I've been preparing for this moment for this whole year, mm-hmm. right? So New Year comes, obviously, I'm like, okay, this is my time. I'm going. Spoke with the director of football, Tom Radcliffe, at the University of Hartbury and said, look, I've got the opportunity to go become a professional footballer. Um, can I go sort of miss, you know, however long it is, one month or, you know, two months of university work or training and stuff, and I can maybe defer my, my year? And he said, it's absolutely fine go follow your dreams, you know, Hartbury really like their students to do this sort of stuff. They want their students to, to go and excel. So credit to them for letting me mm-hmm. go, basically. So I went to Sarawak, right? Backpack, backpack, literally backpack in a bag. So I didn't think I was going to stay there. Mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to go there for a trial, come back, sort my sort of, you know, my contract out. I thought it was going to be all like this. I ended up going out there, um, got picked up. You know, I'm thinking, dream. This is going to be an absolute dream. Like, oh, I can't wait. I didn't really know about Sarawak. I just knew they were playing in. So they were playing in the league below Sabah okay. in the Premier League at the time. Uh, it's called the Premier League. So, so Super League's top yeah. league. Premier League's a championship. Right. right. So they were playing in the Premier League at the time, um, but they were top. They were undefeated so far. They were top, and they were obviously fighting for to get promotion into the Super League. So why would they? Why do you think they wanted you? I think that Scott maybe I don't know must have worked his magic. Say, look, there's a there's a kid who's got potential to get a Malaysian passport. Um, you know, he can come out. He's, he's a good asset for your team. Because when I went out in Malaysia, especially what I proud pride myself on first was just smashing people, basically. The strength. Just being the bulldog and just smashing oh, winning you, headers and stuff. Yeah. I thought you said. meant something else then. <laughs> 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 no mate. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like when I went there. Um, Get picked up and get put in a hostel, right? So I get put in this hostel. Horrendous hostel. No windows. Cockroaches on the bed, right? I'm like, oh my God, what on earth have I put myself into? Like, But at the same time, I'm still buzzing. I'm like, okay, I want to get on the training pitch and, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't speak the language. You know, my, I know my mum's Malaysian and stuff, but I knew a few phrases and stuff, but I couldn't speak the language. So it was bloody scary. Get training. I have a horrendous first week. Get food food poisoning oh, from the hotel. So I've, I've got the absolute, you know, I've got the shits, basically. <laughs> right, I'm trying to hold it in while I'm running. I'm <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm, I've had this first week of my trial. It's been absolutely horrendous. It's shit right. down your legs. Done a few good things and stuff. I'm thinking Two left head. feet. <laughs> Two left feet, yeah. I'm trying with another guy as well, uh, Moama Salabasic, who's a Bosnian, mm-hmm. who ends, actually ended up being one of the absolute legends in that in, that, in our time, when we because we both end up signing. But... um. So we both trying at the same time, both staying at this hostel. 
and it got to the end of the first week and I thought if I don't say something I'm, I'm you know they're going to think fuck, fuck this geezer well. mm. so I spoke to the gaffer at the time who was Robert Alberts um, Dutch you know crazy Dutch bastard mm. <laughs> so all these clubs are they the people at top are they Western or Australian or are there actually do you, do you are you dealing with Malaysian people as well so yeah the people at the top top are predominantly Malaysian so they'd be owned by so Sarek was owned by Datu Sudrasana at the time so he's like government sort of thing so he owned the club and then they would hire like a foreign coach normally mm, um, okay. I'd only ever played under a foreign coach in Malaysia mm-hmm. I don't know what, why that was but there are, there are local coaches out there but mm-hmm. I just played under a foreign coach cool. so I had the conversation with Rob I said look obviously without sounding disrespectful you know I've coming from Europe and stuff I need to be comfortable in where I'm staying um, in, in order to me to, to get the best out of me eventually you know I need good food good prep before my trainings and stuff like I'm not used to staying in a hostel and eating nasi goreng at 8am before training kind of thing <laughs> so uh, what is nasi goreng nasi goreng is a uh, very nice fried rice made in Malaysia oh lovely okay. <laughs> shout out to nasi <laughs> so you um, wanted some omelettes so then they whacked us into a faster hotel Meridian where I actually ended up living for like two months but wow, um, has it gone from cockroach infested hostel to five star do you think it was a test or they just yeah. it could have been a test but I think maybe they sort of real. I think that they never sort of had to deal with that sort of scenario yeah. before and I think until I came I sort of made it quite clear like you can't you bought yourself some time with that yourself some time so I had another obviously two weeks after that and they ended up signing me so they ended up signing me I'd, um, and he said right we're signing you we're going to take you to an away game FA Cup game away game didn't play they just I just bought me for the thing so I said to my mum I called my mum I said I'm not coming home sorry darling <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not coming home, Mum. I'm staying in Malaysia. Don't mock her voice. So <laughs> I've been through this. <laughs> well, that's why she's, she's cute, bless her. But uh, she said, I said, I'm not coming home. I'm staying to the end of the year in Malaysia, right? Yeah. I said, okay, that's, this is like, what about university? Like, all these things come to a mum's head, which is obviously normal. I'm saying, no, no I'm going to finish the season here, see how it goes. Um, newspapers were, you know, coming up, like, junior old stall signing for Sarawak. I've never had this before, by the way. I've never, this is going from literally nothing in England, being a nobody to England, to suddenly... The newspapers are talking about you. The the well, I'm training, and cameras are there, like literally filming me train. Like, why are they? Why? Because I was the first. Okay, so I was the first Malaysian uh, mixed heritage player to represent Malaysia and play in Malaysia. You know, like, tattoos. It was very different. Mm. I wasn't one. I was local, but I wasn't one of the locals. This is where you get your famous nickname, the uh, the Malaysian bet. It's not from. a famous nickname. <laughs> it's not a famous nickname. But, but tattoos and you know, East East London accent. Yeah. So, but this is so it was it was very different for. So bef- sorry, sorry. Right. Before you played, then they had caught wind that your club had signed the first kind of mix. Yeah, yeah. It was very player. everyone's like, okay, who's this guy? He's six foot two. He's got tattoos everywhere. He's Malaysian. Is he Malaysian? He's very good looking. He's mm. very beautiful. <laughs> like, come on, like, wow, look at his bum in the shorts. <laughs> 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 Did God create him? <laughs> um, he can't play football, but we'll yeah. forget that. Yeah. <laughs> so I've never had this, right? And I was, I was, you know, taking it in. I was loving it at the time. Like, I'm not going to lie. I was loving it. You know, newspapers talking about you and stuff. Um, but it was very important to stay humble. And I, I hadn't done anything yet. I hadn't done anything. And Scott was very good at the time for me because he'd, he's someone that kept my feet in the ground and kept me humble. So I'll thank him for that because there are times where you can let that get to you as a person, right? Mm. But Scott would always say, look, you know, football first, that comes later. That will all come later. Right. So just focus on your first season first, that will come later. When I mean, you've not even played a game in front of anybody yet. But Hadn't the played a game. And the pl- yeah, exactly. Did that, did that increase the pressure for the first time you did play a game? It did, but it also fueled me to, right. to, to be like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna be the fucking man. I'm actually going to do bits here. Um, and I can do bits here. Mm. But then I started my first season at Sarawak. Um, had an amazing first year. We won the league. 
undefeated. Oh. Um, and how were you quite? You contribute quite a lot to that. Started yeah. every game. I was playing every game centre mid with them. So I, st- I went there. I went there as a at Hartbury. I was playing as a striker. Believe right. it or not. Right. Did you score though as a striker? Did you score a lot at Hartbury? Yeah. Not a lot. I was but more of a. The, one in three. One in three, yeah. One of them, like, okay. I'd pop in, bang, here and there. Um, but I went to Malaysia as a centre midfielder because I knew I had the height, I had the physical abilities that a lot of the local players didn't have. So mm-hmm. I went there as a centre midfielder, someone who breaks play up. And Eric sort of, Dyer. Eric Dyer, yeah. Um, so I went there as centre mid. So I played centre mid, centre defensive midfielder for Sarawak. We ended up winning the league, creating history, by the way. It's the first time in like 40 years, went undefeated without win- like without losing a game. Oh my God. Um, and then got prom- gotten promoted into the Super League. From then, the second year, a lot of interest did come. Um, I'd made it to the national team. So literally in, within my six-month stint of me being at Sarawak, I'd made it into the national team, um, Malaysia under-23s and the Malaysia senior team, where we went to Japan for the first year. And that's when I got called up to play against Barcelona and Chelsea. How was that? Surreal. Like, it was an absolute surreal it, feeling. You know have these fixtures Barcelona and Chelsea on paper but was it actually their team? Mate, full on team. Messi, really? Neymar, Iniesta, PK, um, Chelsea, De Bruyne was there at the time, Lukaku was there at the time, Demba Bar. I think I waited in Demba to be fair. <laughs> really? Yeah, one of my friends is playing. So were you on the same pitch as Messi for a period of time? I was mate, yeah. That's quite insane to be fair if you think about it. What's that experience watching him actually with the ball at his feet on the same pitch as you? Mate, they were. Just don't run near me. N- they were in second gear. Yeah, mate. I was in like I was in overdrive. I was in sport. <laughs> <laughs> I was in sport, and they were in second. Were you game. blowing? I was blowing. Really? I was absolutely blowing. Yeah, and I remember it so clearly. It was just such a surreal. F- I remember getting the call from Raja Kapal, who's the national team manager at the time, um, and I remember that feeling of just I-, I wanted to burst out crying and stuff. And I will talk about the national team very quickly now. Um, oh, I think national team is important. It's probably one of the most important parts of it. The fact that you went to Malaysia as someone an English would you count yourself language. Yeah. yeah so yeah you went to f- complete like another continent not speaking the language and you end up representing the national team how many times yeah oh, I think I had like 23 caps 23 caps yeah. for Malaysia which yeah and you know, it's insane if you think about it. thank you mate no thank you yeah so obviously like, like you said like it was pretty surreal after six months of just being in Malaysia to, to then represent <laughs> a country you know, you're representing your country, your mum's native country, your native country. So it was a proud moment. Like what was the what was her reaction when you called her up to say that you're representing? As Malaysia? every mum, like she was absolutely buzzing. She was really? so buzzing. Yeah, the, the, you, you should have completed your studies, but yeah, basically, yeah, yeah you should have completed your studies. But I'm proud of you. Like it's amazing because we still have family in Malaysia, in Borneo. Families, are, you know, family I haven't seen in like 10, 10 years and stuff. So for them to see me coming back to Malaysia and being like this professional footballer representing Malaysia and stuff, you know, it was it was an amazing feeling. Because they would have seen you in the papers. Didn't you say there was like a, there was like a, a billboard and stuff? Was a there few bits, like yeah. So they, yeah, they would have seen that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, it was a nice feeling for them. But we're going to the national team. So I I get this call about, you know, you're going to play against Chelsea Barcelona in the summer on pre-season tour. Um, and those are your first fixtures for those Malaysia? Those are the first fixtures for Malaysia. Blimey, right? it's yeah, it's a, a hard start. Thing, it's yeah. a massive start. But we obviously had friendly. So we went to Japan for two, three weeks to prepare for them games before. Um, and I remember turning up to Mal- the Malaysia. So in my head, right, I'm thinking St. George's, like top end, like, you know, national, national team should always be unbelievable. Like, you know, you, you're thinking that. Yeah, okay. In a way. I didn't know this, obviously, you know, because I... If you're a spoiled brat from England, then you're you're expecting yeah, that. Yeah, okay, yeah. exactly. So I turned up to the national team. Um, 
where I've come from Sarawak, where in the club football you have foreigners, where you can sort of fall back to, you can speak English to, you know, you've got their families and stuff mm -hmm, around you and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, in the national team, you're by yourself, okay? So I went to the national team by myself, and you go to these digs, it's like digs basically, okay? It's quite a funny story. And you get put into these rooms, three bedrooms, in a, three beds in a room. So I'm thinking, right, I've got three beds, I'm gonna have two roommates, like it's gonna be amazing, like we're gonna have a good time, like football three banter. Three beds, <laughs> <laughs> So I sat in this room, right? mattress and you get like a little sheet no wi-fi no tv the toilet is like you know where you have to pour a bucket onto yeah that was a toilet okay <laughs> none, none of this bad because i've already been through it sort it of sounds thing. like you're in prison mate <laughs> mate so i've been through this sort of a sarawak kind of like in sarawak while i went into the hotel and hospital yeah, sure. i know what my like you know everyone knows what asia's like right so i'm sort of used to this at the minute it was like six months on seven months on how on earth could they put the malaysian david becks in these <laughs> things <laughs> that's what you said to your teammates so uh, listen to this, okay? So I'm, I'm in this room, haven't met anyone because I was the first, obviously, you know, player from the Premier League to yeah. get called up. Everyone else is in the Super League, so I've never played against, played with or against. So this is before players. Sarak even had the opportunity to play in yeah. the Super League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this that's, is my first that's year. cool. Yeah. So this is my first year, okay? So I'm in there. So I hear a knock on the door. One of the players opens the door, shuts it back. I'm thinking, okay, he hasn't even said hi. It's a bit weird. Okay, another one comes in, opens the door. Looks me square in the eye. Hi, mate. Out. No, shut the door. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is bloody weird, right? So goes about two hours. All the players have arrived at national camp. I still don't have my roommates. I think this is really like, am I, do I smell? Is, is, is there something bad? The answer is yes, by the way, but can. Thanks, mate. <laughs> so I walk out. I look at the rooms and stuff. And they've actually crammed themselves. So there's three to a room, right? They've actually crammed themselves like four or five in one room mm -hmm. just so they don't have to be with me. <laughs> wow yeah like, how does that you know, I, I was like okay well but I can understand where they're coming from because I'm this kid who doesn't speak Malay who's coming to their sort of country their culture um, it, I don't know whether it looked disrespectful or I, I don't know what it looked like from their side but it must have been something you know and training was hard like I couldn't I couldn't communicate with them I couldn't um, speak to them about could, could you imagine in England like having a, a Malaysian national come in that couldn't speak any English oh. and he started playing. Oh, it'd be he, horrendous. He knocks on the door and starts speaking yeah. in Malay. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, the it'd be horrendous. That, yeah, probably did the and we know thing. the English changing room is a lot worse than the Malaysian changing room. Yeah. Right? yeah, so so like I knew I'm quite strong-minded in that sense of, you know, just get on with it, it'd be fine. Um, it got to like three weeks and it did get hard. And I had a phone call with Scott. I, had a, I even went and spoke to the national team guy and said, I can't do it. Was he, where was he from? National team coach. Yeah. He was Malaysian. Okay. He was local. Cool. Legend in Malaysia. So I spoke to him and said, I can't do it. I can't play for the national team like this. Like, I don't feel part of Malaysia. I don't feel part of the national team. And he said, look, just stick it. Stick stick with it. You'll be fine. Like, you know, you, we need you. You're playing Chelsea and Barcelona. Like, you can't turn this opportunity down. So I ended up sticking with it. Um, and one of the things I wanted to do was learn the language. I thought, if I, at least if I could speak the language, I know if they're chatting shit about me, basically. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll know if they're chatting shit about me. So I ended up learning language. And what I did do, instead of getting a tutor or a teacher, I was picking up phrases from what the players were saying. So I'd say, oh, what does that mean? How do I say that? And that's how I picked up Malaysian. Did, and when they saw you learning, did that? That's when the respect to, started to yeah, build. Okay. The respect was suddenly there. And after they saw me play in a few games in the national team, the respect was there even more. Because I started, I was, playing, I, was, I was balling, basically. So respect was there even more from like the big dogs, Safiq Rahim, Safi Sali, who are these massive ego, like 
they've done a lot for Malaysia. Like these are the legends of Malaysian football, mm. and like to me to play with, with them is was like was amazing. It was an amazing feeling for me because I've heard all these stories from you know being at Sarawak, and now I'm like with Safi, Safi Sally, you know all these big names, and for them to suddenly respect me was like okay now and then I speak in Malay. So do you want me to speak a little bit of Malay? Yeah, go on. Say he's offside, bro. They offside, Efrila, Bodola. Say fake it till you make it. Oh, in Malaysian. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Nah, tapi saya boleh cakap Melayu. Kalau yang semua yang dengar sekarang podcast The Dog Days, saya boleh cakap Melayu. Wow, that's hot. Muchos gracias. Muchos gracias. Yeah, I can probably talk to Sven Skogso and yeah. But anyway, Swedish brother. Yeah, my Swedish. Yeah, Ian, brother. Big Swedish. One percent ancestry DNA. Wow, yeah. Big up your chest. He's actually Swedish. This is your story though. Go on, no, I know. So, wait, so yeah, from that, that was a national team experience. So it was very surreal when I first went there. Um, and then from that, obviously, I started playing a lot more regularly. Um, played for the under-23s and won the Pestabola Cup for them. And that was one of the best moments. We'll talk about that when we the success, when I scored the win, like one of the winning goals. So you're that. in Malaysia. So so Sarawak have just been promoted. So I think we've promoted. jumped a bit forward into international, but that was that was That's absolutely thing. fine. Sarawak's so, been promoted. So, so from Sarawak, how do they compete in the Super League? How does that next season yeah, go? Yeah, so second, second season, I had a lot of interest from other clubs. Um, I decided to stay another full season with Sarawak. We finished fourth in the Super League, which, was, which wasn't bad. In their first season? In their first season. That's amazing. Which is a really good season. Um, and... Going into the third year, they didn't they didn't have the budget to keep a lot of the players. So I think seven of the players left. Were you asking year. for a bumper deal at this point? I wasn't point. asking for a bumper deal. Yeah, at that time I had I'd made uh, international appearances and I'd yeah. done a lot for the club. So I asked for an even better deal than what I did in the first year. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just say, my first season I was on scraps, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. hardly anything. I know you shouldn't talk about money, but I was on scraps. But I was just I loved it so much, and I wanted to prove myself. And that was one of the main things I thought I did well in Malaysia was I just kept my mouth shut in the first two seasons and I just played football. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't do that. Well, that's what happens in English football, with, I think, with youth players. Yeah. They get a lot of money very, very quickly. So the desire soonly yeah. Well, yeah, soon goes, a, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, I, no, I completely agree, especially at a young age in English football. Whereas I went the complete opposite way. Here's your deal. Like, take it or leave it, basically. But I was playing in front of 22,000 fans and I felt like a so pro. So you playing for the love of the game at that point. Playing for the love of the game at that point and money wasn't important. So when did that change? It never really changed. Yeah, it, 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 the, money didn't, the money came. So I think a lot of things realise when, when, you, when you work hard and your work ethic's there, the money will always come. The money will always follow. As long as you're, you're, you're humble, you're, you're working hard, like I said, the money will always come. So after my second season at Sarawak, I had an offer from Selangor, which is one of the big boys in KL, in Malaysian football. And there was a club called JDT at the time, which had just been formed by the Prince of Johor, TMJ. Right? Big up TMJ. (laughs) Um, So that was a club that's just been formed. So he turned Johor FA to Johor Dawa Tagzim, JDT, which is a massive club. A bit like Man City at the time. Like He was just chucking money in, facilities, everything. And they didn't actually put an offer in for me. So I was a bit bit gutted because I wanted to go from, you know, Sarawak, which is like comparison to English football, I don't know, Huddersfield to, no, not Huddersfield, mid-table team. Birmingham. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have no idea which club is where. Where can we say? I mean, we can... Aston Villa. No, no, they're in the championship now. Really? <laughs> West Ham? West Ham, where are they from? Nah, because you'd like to put... Nah, we, we can't really give it a comparison because they're all Okay, but anyway, clubs. I wanted to go to the... to, to J, In my head, JDT was the club. Bournemouth to JDT, yeah. Oh, you're um, Wiltshire. Nice. 
But Mark Sal- Overmars. Salango came in and they've got a lot of history. So they've, you know, they've got a lot of history and they've got a big fan base, living KL, Kuala Lumpur, if anyone doesn't know oh, what KL is. Okay. Right. Amazing lifestyle, right? So I've gone from living in Sarawak, which is in the jungle, Borneo, to then having an offer to go live in um, KL, in, Borneo, uh, in the capital city, right? Um, took the deal. So I signed with Salango originally. That contract fell through um, because they didn't pay my signing on fee on time. So the signing on fee was late and that contract then was voided. I was then on holiday without a club with Oli Palmer who came out to visit me. So we were in a holiday in Langkawi um, and I got a call from my agent, Scott, and said, JDT are interested. Would you, you know, do you want to go there? Fucking yeah, of course I want to go there. What are you waiting what for? What you waiting for? Make the deal, <laughs> mate. <laughs> Show um, me the money. So I signed for JDT um, and it, w- it turned very quick. I thought I, had, I actually had an apartment in KL Wow. And then, yeah, it was all sorted. And I said, okay, I'm going to JDT now. So I had to move all my stuff from KL to Johor. Amazing story. Get to JDT, staying at the hotel, Thistle. I'm doing all these meet and greet things with the fans, like all the pictures, like welcome to JDT, videos and stuff. Um, I'll get a call at night. I'm in the hotel, Thistle Hotel. And um, guy goes, oh, a cab's picking you up. Um, we're going to take you to Singapore to meet the prince. Um, it was around New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve kind of time. Car picks me up. Luciano Figueroa is there, one of the players at the oh, time. Yeah. yeah. Um, played for Argentina. Amazing player. Um, and he was there with the physio, uh, Fernando and Adrian. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, hi guys, I'm the new player kind of thing. Where are we going? Like, this is a bit weird. He goes, oh, we're just going to go meet the boss. He's got a villa in um, Singapore. You know, he wants to meet the new players and stuff. Go through Singapore. We get there. Um, Jay comes in, which is one of TMJ's assistants and stuff, comes out. Oh, welcome to Johor, blah, blah, TMJ just here. It's like a, you know, like this massive Spanish villas. Yes. Can you imagine one? Like, you know, like these Al Pacino, Al Pacino sort, of sort of thing, like massive villas, right? I think, okay, so we will get our room each. We'll get a room each. I'm thinking, God, this is amazing. Like, I've got this amazing five star room, right? Walk in, massive opening. So you imagine this massive opening mm. and TMJ sitting there on a massive, like, on a massive, like, table and he's at the top of the table. And he just looks at me. I'm at the top of the stairs, right? He goes, looks at me, he goes, Elstal, welcome to the Galacticals of Asia. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I imagine think, he was like a massive cigar in his hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, fuck yeah. Like, wow, this guy's a this guy's a legend. Like, wow. Like, I've never I've never experienced this sort of thing before. Um got to know him very quickly, got to know his expectations very quickly. With the amount of money he was putting into the club comes responsibility, comes expectation. To, to win games, right? So, um, so JDT, when do we get back to the football then? How did yeah. it go in the so first from season that, with JDT? So from my time at JDT, we won, I've won nine trophies at JDT. So from my time, I was there for three years, we won nine trophies. So from Charity Shields, we won four league titles, um, FA Cup, Champions League. So no, it wasn't Champions League, AFC Asia, Cup. Asian, yeah, AFC of, Cup. Yeah, okay. Um, so my time at JDT was very successful. Um, and... Yeah, going from there, my second season, I got a massive injury, um, which is where my life sort of turned around. Um, I had a slip disc, which I played with for three seasons. The slip disc actually occurred when I was at Sarawak, and my treatment wasn't that good because I didn't have the sort of the means to treat me. So I was doing my rehab, outsourcing my rehab and so stuff. Did they give Did they give you like a medical when you joined JDT or not? They they knew I had a slip disc, okay, they but I'd sort of recovered from it okay. and in my first year I had no problems at all so mm. I didn't see my second season when I started to feel a bit of wear and tear because um, I was playing games and I wasn't treating my body as well as I should have you so going out were you like 
still following the strip regime you had? No, yeah. My first my first year at JDT, my first two years at JDT, I was very still football football driven. It was only when I started getting injured and I that's when the sort of the the, the money came in and the lifestyle of actually being a pro actually mm. hit me. Like, wow, okay, I've got access to clubs, I've got access to free, you know, drinks here, people wanted you to come out, you know, flying to Dubai and stuff. I had access to all these things and I had the money at the, at JDT. I'm so grateful for because it taught me a lot of lessons in life to value money where where I am now today. So you're four. This is okay because uh, we're four years in. Are we four years into the um, to the career in Malaysia? Yeah, or around that. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're, yeah, you're a successful footballer. You've become acclimatized to it. You understand the culture. You've made friends there. You've risen to fame. You're now quite used to fame. Would you say is it fair to say like you're used to kind of people writing about you? That's not a shock. Yeah, yeah. It was more. It was more sort of. Now I've established myself. Um, people know who I am. I didn't even mention when I was when I first came to Malaysia. I had to write an open letter to actually tell people why I've got tattoos, why I'm, you know, why. Well, I'm, it's a Muslim country. Yeah, right? yeah, predominantly Muslim and stuff. So it was a bit, you know, it was quite scary playing away in away games when I first went to Malaysia because I was getting screamed out. I was getting, you're not, Mal you know, all these horrible things were getting screamed at me. Like mm. they say, like Makawi Jao, which means your mother's green. Yeah, that's what that's what it trans <laughs> that's what it translates to, right? But I was getting these things shouted at me, and uh, I had to actually write an open letter explaining my my background and why I've got tattoos, why you know my mum was married to a, a white man, etc. And it was quite a scary thing. But after all that happened in my first two seasons, when I was at JT, I was actually established. Right. People knew who I was. Um, you know, mixed heritage player. From when I came, a lot more mixed heritage players did come. So you're okay. So you've got to the point where you've played professional football. You've got you've had all the the awards. You've got the money coming in. Now you've been hit with injuries. Yeah. So you're the reason that you're out there. I think it's important to draw this um, correlation. You were happiest, or were you happiest when you were playing football and not earning all the money, or is there somewhere in between where you felt you were at the peak of of performance and also reward? The peak of my performance, I thought, was obviously at the start of my career when I was playing with a national team regularly and stuff. Um, First season at JDT, I had an amazing first year. Um, like I said, it was when sort of I sort of started to feel. What, it's a weird one because when you win everything, and you you literally I've, I'd, at my second season at JDT, I'd won everything domestically in Malaysia. So it was like in a game, like a video game. You've completed everything you can in that yeah. environment, and mm. it's I think you've got so pigeonholed into Malaysian football that it's hard for you then to make a return into another. You may have gone to another Asian country, but I don't think you would have been able to come back to England at a higher, at, to play in front of as many fans as you did in Malaysia. Yeah. And you wouldn't have been able to have the lifestyle that you had in Malaysia yeah. playing football in England. So you no. kind of completed it and then stuck. And you're not playing anymore either. No, yeah. Injured. So you've got the, the money's coming in, but the football isn't being played. Yeah. So then I was getting very distracted. I was going, you know, I was doing things I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing like, not I shouldn't be doing, but I was focusing on like, so that's when I started my business. My first business was clothing. Um, J London, which and that's where the Malaysian Beckham came. <laughs> that's you delved Malaysia. into fashion. I delved into fashion. No, I did delve into a lot of fashion. I was going to fashion shows in Singapore. Um, I was spending my time networking a lot in Singapore and KL, and I was doing a lot of off the field, off the field sort of activities. Which, you know, obviously from the club's point of view, doesn't look great because you sure. know they want you to focus on your injury and your rehab and stuff. But in my mind. I was scared because I didn't know what else I could do after football. And like you said, because also with Malaysia, what happens when I go back to England? Mm. Like, what do I have in England? You know, I can't, I can't live this lifestyle that I do here in England. 
I won't be on the same money, you know, kind of thing. So I started the clothing line and it very turned into like a hobby. As you guys know, I love fashion and stuff. I love dressing up nice. And it became like, why would I buy something when I can create it myself? Mm. And people were buying the caps and, you know, it became sort of, I started to get known for that side of things uh, towards the end of my career in Malaysia instead yeah. of actually footballing side of things. Because you weren't playing anymore. Because I weren't playing anymore and um, I was doing my fashion a lot more. Why? Okay, cool. So there's there's definitely like, uh, this sounds like almost where, where it turns. Yeah. So football becomes a secondary. really passionate thing and then suddenly it's secondary because you're not playing and perhaps with the exercise doesn't happen, that sort of thing. What happens now? Because I think you're, it feels like this, this, it's a less of a positive story now. So from, from this point on, I managed to get another year contract. Um, you know, that's what I have to thank TMJ and the club for actually believing in me, even with my injuries um, going forward and knowing that, you know, I've, I'm, I'm doing J London and stuff. But my relationship with the club is was very good and it still is very now. Like I've got an amazing relationship with TMJ um, and JDT. So it just... From that on point, from that point on, even in my in my last season there, I was still getting a lot of injuries, um, and it was like niggling injuries. It was like because from my back, I was getting my hamstring injuries. I was getting, and it wasn't like I was I wasn't focused on rehab. I paid a body coach monthly to come training me five days a week in my gym, out of the club. You know, so I had obviously my my, my facilities at the club that I was doing with my physio stuff. But I was doing extras. This is all the mobility stuff. That you all the mobility yeah. stuff and all the function, and you know, I believe in a lot of yeah, core proprioception and stuff. All of that. Well, I was doing that off the pitch to 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 better myself to to try and make it in the game. But I I don't know what it was. Is I just wasn't the same. Mm. I didn't. I wasn't that same fighter. That that. Do you think the drive had gone as well? I know the ability of perhaps you know the niggling, but do you think the drive had gone? Yeah, I had think confidence gone. Confidence massively went because I knew there was at JDT. There's four four or five players in the same position, all fighting for one spot. So I went from being top dog to, you know, third, fourth choice, and um, the confidence had gone, and injuries hit me, and like I said, I was doing, I was focusing on my other aspects of business, and I was actually enjoying that aspect of the side of business. I was like, because I played football, and I was so enrolled in football mentally, when I was getting into business, I was actually enjoying it a lot more. I was like, ah, this is interesting. I'm actually making money for, you know, like in this way, and doing things creative i'm a creative person i love being creative we all are all here sitting here so when we're doing something creative and we're creating something for ourselves if it was a it was a lot more validation there mm. and it was more like i'm doing it for me instead of someone else telling me oh yeah you're you're, you're good you're that's all i've had in football that's all you have you're good enough you're not good enough now nah. yeah football you're still an employee you're still an employee yeah. exactly in some places you're just a very high paid employee but as a footballer, you grow up your whole life being told what to do, right? Yeah, exactly. So listen yeah. to orders, listen to orders, exactly. and that's what exactly that's what it is. And then it was nice to just be my own boss on the on the side hustle kind of thing. Yeah, it was yeah. really nice. How okay? So you've got friends out there as well. So how if you were to put it out of a percentage, how happy were you genuinely at this point? I wasn't happy. To be fair, coming towards the end of my that year in Malaysia, I wasn't happy. Um, I had Darren Locke out there with Abby. Um, which I'm so grateful for because they made it a lot easier in my last year. But prior to that, I was very alone. Didn't have, you know, I had relationships mm. with both, you know, two two wonderful people, but long distance, as everyone knows, was is difficult. You know, I'd go four months without actually having that affection, having that, you know, so I was seeking that from other things. I was seeking affection or people, you know, company from people I don't even want to hang out with. I'd, mm. I'd, make, I'd fly, fly to Dubai by myself. And, you know, I'd be there for seven days by myself and paying for these tables, paying for these, you know, clubs and stuff. 
is you know paying get... for these you know yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> never done that no good. Um, but getting validation from these people because that made well what i thought that that made me feel good but so it, that's it such a typical thing isn't it and that, what what oh. you're just trying to buy happiness at this point exactly yeah. and you're just missing affection you're missing i don't think you've got any goals at this point you've completed your goals yeah so i've completed, completed my your goals. dream as a professional footballer are you, are you telling yourself a narrative of this is the life like whoa look at me or are you like I, I feel shit. No, I was telling myself this is the life and I'm loving my life. And it was only till this year when I realized, mate, like you need to sort yourself the fuck out. And just quickly on so so obviously a lot of talk at the moment on social media. How has social media influenced your view of life at that point? So are you are you like posing on Instagram? Are you saying like I'm living this lifestyle? Yeah, so social media, I mean I had this discussion the other month with affected me massively, especially in my relationships with people. Um in the sense of I was get I had all these followers, I had, you know, all these like deals and stuff and magazines and stuff. And you sort of live to a double life. You sort of start to live a double life where um, where you're posing, like you said, you're posing for Instagram and stuff and people don't see the real you. I mean that's why we're starting this because you know, we want to talk about the real us and people want to hear, people want to see the real you, but you're so scared to show it. I'm not going to lie. I used to, we used to laugh with Ollie Palmer about some of Ollie your, Ollie told me, mate. Some of your Instagram stories. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. business confession in the corner, obviously, but I used to play it on the sofa on a, on a hungover Sunday for a bit of banter. <laughs> <laughs> it's the yeah. face. Live your dreams, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, but okay, so that, yeah, but no, but that, that's the, that, that point of my life, I actually, I felt, I felt like I, I wanted to do that. That sort of, that point. I, I think that was actually really, what I, the thing that I I have simply is before is that, you, that you were trying to be okay. Before then, you were being Mr. Champagne Charlie Wanker, and it was very clear to the yeah. world. But then you went the other way, and it was like, right, I'm I'm now on this reformation part of my mm. life where I'm learning more about me. I'm I'm reconnected to my purpose. Now I'm going to tell that to everybody else. Yeah, and that's Did what you, it was. And I think that contrast was very weird to people. I think it was because some people, oh, hold on, one second. He was the guy that was dancing around in a nightclub with a bottle of champagne. And now he's telling me that I've got to fucking do breathing exercises. What's going on? Yeah. So so, so the, the transition, I think, is an unnatural. And whilst it is authentic and it comes from mm. a very purposeful place, some people can see that as duplicitous. Yeah. But that's confusing. Yeah. So like I said, I think this final year really taught me a lot of things about myself. Um, I read two amazing books, The Power of Now. And the is monk, that Eckhart Tolle? Yeah, and The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, which is two books I absolutely recommend. What, did, actually, what was that what, what, The Monk? The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. What did both of those books, what 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 could you take out of? They just, Power Now taught me to live in the present a lot more. Um, I used to live in regret. I used to say, oh, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I do this? You know, why did I go out before that game? Why did I do this to, in that relationship? Mm. Um, the Power of Now taught me to be a lot more present and just enjoy things for what it actually is. So like my last year in Malaysia, even though I was injured again, I was playing more reserve football than first team. You know, I think I played two games in the with the first team in my last year. Um, so Eighty nine minute. Yeah. So you might, you imagine going from top dog to Malaysia yeah, yeah. to playing resis like, like, mate. I was mentally was the most hardest thing to accept. Like, I'm junior. In my head, I'm thinking I'm junior old still. I'm I should not be playing resi football. Mm -hmm. I should be in that first team every week. That's right? ego talking. Right? Ego talking massively. Mm -hmm. And you but know you're not even pulling your weight in the exactly in, right. in training and whatnot. But these two books taught me a lot more just to enjoy the moment, embrace the moment, use this as time to learn about yourself, use this as time to change your life because the monk who sold his Ferrari made me realise that materialistic stuff isn't important in life. Mm. And I thought it was. And that's where, you know, a massive mistake in my life was spend, spending a lot of fucking stupid money on stupid shit, which I don't need. You know, it gave me that that quick dopamine fix mm. of, you're the fucking boy, man. Like, yeah, I can spend this money because I've got it and it's going to mm. come back in next month. 
oh mate, what happens when, you know, like for instance, now I don't have a salary. I don't have that salary coming in, you know, and I, I haven't saved as much as I should have saved. And um, so do you believe this learning will set you up for future success? To mate, two million percent. So next time you come into money, yeah. do you think you're going to act differently? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a lot different. But also that football lifestyle, that lavish lifestyle is is very, you fall into it very naturally. Because when, you, when you're in with that football lifestyle, you start hanging around with other footballers. So when I was coming back to England, I was hanging around with other footballers and they're on crazy amounts of money and would go on holiday and I'll be spending the same amount, amount as them. I'll be on a good salary, but I'm nowhere near what they're on. Sure. But I'm trying to live up to that, you know, that football football persona. So I'll be coming home and people that people have that perception of me, like oh, he's made it as a pro, um, you know, and I'll be trying to live up to that perception, weirdly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how are you trying to transition out of this identity? Because this isn't that long ago, right? So you're still trying to come to terms with not being a professional footballer, right? Or are yeah. you still playing with in the game? Or No, well, I'm not actually playing currently. Um, I'm training down at Woking, um, back where I started. <laughs> So it's yeah. So I'm still getting used to not playing football every day and going to the dressing room that I'm used to and not living that lifestyle. And it's do you know what? It's fucking nice. It really is nice to come back down to to earth, back down to reality. Humble beginnings. Humble begin beginnings and going again. Um, what do you envision now for the future? So okay, you've got two years now. People aren't asking for your autograph and they're not you know taking photos of you in the street. Yeah. Well, the reason I came home was because so after my injuries, during my injuries, I had a lot of time for myself, especially in the third year. Now I was playing reserve football, so m my role in the club wasn't even that important anymore. Um, Fitbook Pro was then born, which is an app that I'm creating now with my business partner Oliver Palmer, um, and it's an app that event evidently we're the middleman and you know we're going to be the first app in the world with a massive USP, which I can't really go too much into, but... Um, but the purpose of that, though, what I love about your app is that you are actually the target market of this business. Exactly. So you know the consumer and you know the people that are going to use it better than anybody else in the world yeah. and have suffered from the things that this will hopefully prevent people from suffering from at the same yes, time. Yes, exactly, exactly. Not with, yeah, without giving away too much, but it could be as big as Uber in the world of fitness and sport. Yeah, well, hopefully. Mate, which is hopefully. exciting. But, again... It's you know going around and getting funding and doing the investment circles and learning about business. It's almost like you've just landed in Malaysia again. Yeah, it's almost yeah, like yeah, you've yeah. gone right bang. Here's your cockroach-ridden yeah. fucking bed. Yeah, but in business, <laughs> but in the in business, business world. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. Back with you know living with mum for the moment. Well, you're moving out next week, but yeah. you know that that's the humble beginning. Is I think that's that's really the purpose again of this podcast is to is to remind people about the relativity and how we can shoot to fame and land back down where we started again. You yeah. have to be humble about. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think if if you feel that's the right thing to do, then do it. I could have easily stayed in Malaysia, signed for another team, not JDT, because my contract finished there. Signed for another big team, let's say Selangor, good, am good amounts of money, and stayed there for the next five years and just been that same person for the next five years and not been happy. Thought yeah. I was happy. You know, you boys might have thought he's living a fucking life in the swimming pool, blah, blah, blah. But I wasn't happy. I've got quite a good bullshit detector. But I, I can see you lived a good life, a good lifestyle. But I, th I can only imagine how difficult it is to be in. I enjoyed living in Asia temporarily when I travelled around there. But living in Asia, completely different continent, different mm. culture, and you don't have your friends and family around. It's just, yeah. I can only imagine that you try and seek happiness like you did through yeah. spending a lot of money that you yeah. had. I think that's what a lot of people forget. So after me, like I said, there was a lot more mixed heritage players that came. I think now there's about nine that play in the country. But um, my time there, I was very alone. I didn't have, so now there's a group of them. 
you know they go they go out together some of them at the same club and it's very very nice to have someone there i had darren in my last year which mm-hmm. is very nice for me but it's not the same like i said it's not the same affection that you get from you know playing sport with his, he was there with his girlfriend as well yeah. you know the lovely lovely people but i was still by myself i was still going upstairs to my apartment sitting in my room by myself and like Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> your best um, friend was your hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but people forget that I was there for four years prior to Darren actually being there, completely alone, had to learn the language, had to adapt myself. Mm. Um, and it was, like you said, it's a very lonely place. And I'm so far away from home. Mm. It's like a 14-hour flight. Yeah, It's not like I can just pop back and, you know, I would miss my brother's, my sister's birthdays. And it was a difficult, difficult time. But because I was making good money and I was a footballer and mm. I had these expectations from friends back home, like eyes, oh, you know, every time I was every time I was coming home, I was sort of taking my friends out for for dinner. I was taking them out, you know, clubbing or whatever, mm. and that sort of became an expectation that I yeah, felt yeah. like I needed to keep. It was weird. It was really weird. And no, yeah, it's just the ego, isn't it? Yeah. What would you? Massive. Okay, then if that if that is the case and you've learned a lot, what would you then say to either twenty one year old? you well i don't know how old you were when you landed there or what would you say to a room full of 21 year olds or people that are perhaps about to go on this journey i'd say investing in yourself is the best investment you can make i think yeah i think that's what i'd say that's what i'd tell myself what what does that mean is quite i mean that's our that's our slogan of almost well it is actually actually yeah yeah. but i know but i mean i know what that means to me but what would that mean to somebody that's perhaps younger than you? What would, what so, mean so for instance, when I before I became a professional footballer, I was investing in myself in the sense of I was going doing double training sessions. I was investing in myself to to have that opportunity. Um, for instance, now I'm I've come home to you know be on this tech venture of my new app that's going to launch hopefully the end of this year. I've again invested in myself because I know that football sort of was done, and I'm investing myself in time to learning about this venture, moving home. Um, you know, because it's, it's, it feels right, and not just you know, not just um, time, because it sounds like you're putting a lot of time into that. Sorry, not just money is what I meant. It's actually mm-hmm. the time as well. So it's time reading the books, it's time speaking to somebody about your mental health or whatever it is yeah. in that. In that, um, I think that's a really good thing. Anything else that you? you mm. I'd, I'll also say never regret your past and just embrace it as a lesson. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people. That's what not a, a, a major thing I did is like I talk about things now. I wish I didn't do when I was in Malaysia, or I wish I didn't spend that money, but. I wouldn't be the person I am now, today, if I didn't do any of that stuff. And I had it, like you said, I had a fucking good time doing it. But it's made me value money more. It's made me value the relationship with my mother more. You know, we had a very, when I was out there, I didn't speak to her for, you know, God knows how long. Um, now I'm home, you know, I love spending time with her. I love spending time with my family, my friends. Um, so just embrace things that you, you think you regret, but just embrace it as a lesson to, to move on and be better yourself as a person. I like that. Nice. And with uh, with football, are there any lessons and lifestyle choices that you've taken from that regime to apply to your current lifestyle now? So has it helped you, I don't I, know, yeah. early wake-ups, the way you train your body? Yeah, I think with football, I always believe that hard work will always beat talent. I think people forget, you know, when you, like you said, when you get tabloids talking about you and you get people saying, oh, he's, he's going to be this, he's going to be that. People think that talent will get you places when it doesn't. Hard work and dedication and graft will get you places. Um, and you apply that to your... And you apply that to your daily life. I think that's one of the most important lessons that people sort of... They think even though you've made it, which I did, you 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 know, you get a big contract, whatever, you think you make it and you think you're going to stay there forever. You're not. If you don't keep at it, if you don't keep hustling, things slowly come crashing down. Um, yeah. 
Nice. I mean, from from my perspective, uh, I thank you for letting me take us through that story. It's great to hear an honest story and not just the um, the Hollywood plot. Um, Ian. Yes. Thanks for joining me as well, mate. It's been nice to co-host with you. Here. <laughs> oh, it's, it's good um, to be back. <laughs> it's been it's been a few weeks, so it's. Uh, I just like to shout out. Mm. We've really appreciated all the feedback so far from the first two episodes. It's really spurred us on to keep going. Um, and, and, I, and any thoughts as well, because this is off. We weren't going to do a, another three, but we maybe wanted to um, to document Pooch's story, but also we wanted to kind of have us back in the room as a three before we keep the year off. We've got some really exciting guests coming up um, with a variety of skills and specialisms um, that we want, again, more authenticity and, t- and tips and tricks from. Um, but that's why we wanted to do today. Is there any feedback on how we sound together or if, um, you know, if, if Pooch is just too grating to be on this, this podcast? <laughs> I understand. We understand. You know? no, I've had good feedback from you from the first episode, actually. Yeah. yeah Everyone sure. said I thought he was a bellend until I, I heard. I the heard the same thing. So now they don't think you're well, a bellend again. This is where we go about perception. I talk about <laughs> yeah. perception where people think, you know, just because you made it pro, you think they think you're a bellend mate. No, yeah. it's because you post Instagram stories pretending <laughs> to live a lifestyle. Um, but... Uh, I've forgotten what I was going to say. Well, in that case, uh, thank <laughs> you so much, guys, for listening. And oh, uh, no. please tune in for remember. next week. Sorry. I remember what I was going to say. So if there are any topics that you want us to talk about in future episodes, it'd be great for you to leave us some comments, send us DMs. We're interested to learn about anything. So if there's anything that you want us to try and learn about and you want to hear us talk about, please do get in touch. And don't be scared. That could be sleep. That could be sex. That could be uh, your morning routines, everything. Brushing so just teeth. Yeah, brushing <laughs> your teeth, which Pooch needs to do. Um, anything. Thank you very Getting much. Getting rid of dodgy tattoos. <laughs> and bonnets. <laughs> <laughs>Thanks for listening guys, don't forget to follow us on our socials, at Dog Days Pod, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, and we'll see you next week.